Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. Uh, We're moving into a series that we're calling Better Choices, Better Choices. Um, And I think on the heels of our last collection of talks, this is um, super appropriate. And uh, I was preparing in the last couple of weeks to to kick off uh, this collection of talks. And uh, last week, Pastor Ryan shared a really powerful word. If you you weren't here, you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and watch it uh, on the live stream or, or, or listen to it on the podcast. But I was sitting there in the front row and I was listening to his sermon and all of a sudden he started to use a couple of verses that I was like, hey, those are my verses for next week. Uh, and uh, I thought to myself, I was like, oh, maybe that's, maybe God was just, you know, putting me alignment with the house and started to doubt, is, is this really what you want to speak to your church, God? It's, it's just a repeat. And I, I felt like God really uh, stirred my faith up a little bit and said, no, 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 this is what I want to say. It's biblical for me sometimes to repeat myself when I want my people to catch something. And I think God has a word for us this morning that he wants us to catch. And so we're going to go deep, but we're going we're gonna to talk about practicals as well. Because I think that the place we're at as a church, as a, as a community of believers together, knowing you guys and having you know me, is that we've got some work to do. And that was Pastor Ryan's message last week is, yeah, we want to worship and we want to praise his name and we want to know God, but we got work to do. And so today, the better choice that I want us to lean into is choosing to harvest. And the the verses that Pastor Ryan uh, alluded to last week are in Matthew chapter 9. And in chapter 9, starting in verse 35, it says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I thought that this verse was so appropriate uh, because in my quiet time, uh, something that God has been taking me through is the book of Nehemiah. And as I was reading about Nehemiah's life, and I would encourage you to go read it, we're going to spend a lot of time in chapter two today. Uh, Nehemiah had the spirit of a harvester. He had this spirit that Jesus is telling his disciples about. And I think if I could sum up the conversation today in just a phrase or just a sentence, it would be that yes, we are absolutely meant to be saved, but that's just half of the story. We're meant to be saved and then sent. And you will never experience the total fullness that God has for you if you just stay over here and saved. Because God absolutely loves you and he sent his son for you and he died for your sins. But then he turns and says, hey, there's a harvest out there. He's not talking about crops. He's talking about people. And he's saying the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And my disciples, they're saved and sent. And so I want to dig into Nehemiah chapter 2 and look at an example of a a follower of God uh, that had a spirit of a harvester, because that's what I want. That's what God's been challenging me with lately is, hey, don't, don't just stay camped out and saved. Let me send you. Let me make you an inviter. 
Let me make you a harvester. Here's how we're going to work that out. And I think that's a word for our church today. And so let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit in because I don't want this just to be a practical talk for me. I want God's spirit to speak to us and reveal some things this morning. So Father God, we come before you right now humbly and we ask you to do what we can't do. Invade the room and make miracles happen. Bring revelation, stir us up. Father, help us to just get a glimpse of you and from your presence, get next steps. Help us to be courageous and obedient to those. Father, help us to step out in faith and embrace the spirit of the harvest. Father, it says in your word to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And so we're saying, God, here we are. Send us. Send us. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. 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 Well, local city, uh, like I said, we're going to spend some time in Nehemiah, so I want to set the stage for you. Uh, Nehemiah is an Old Testament book uh, that's written about 450 years or so before Jesus. Uh, if you know the story of the first few books of the Bible, you know, Moses brings the people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And, and uh, for about of, uh, maybe 100 or so plus years, there's one kingdom of Israel, and it ends up getting split into two. And unfortunately, after that split, both of them go their separate ways and, and essentially fall into sin and forget God. And uh, they get captured. The, the, the kingdom of Judah in the south gets captured by the Babylonian Empire, takes all of the Israelites out of Israel into Babylon. They destroy the city of Jerusalem, the capital city, the city of David, the city where God's temple is. They knock the walls to the ground. They set the city on fire completely destroy it. And then those Babylonians are taken over by the Persians. And uh, before we get too deep into history, we arrive at Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is, uh, at the end of chapter one, identified as the cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer was somebody that attended to the king when he was thirsty. And back then, you know, when you were a king and you had all that money and power, you could say, hey, your job is just to solve the problem when I'm thirsty, which is a nice job to have. But, but that was his job. And, and it was a position of, of elevation and trust. He's in the king's presence regularly. He has the king's ear. The reason for the cupbearer primarily was not just to give him a drink when he was thirsty, but if there was a concern about an assassination attempt, he would try all of the beverages before he would give them to the king. That's not the best job now that we've kind of fleshed out the job description. But that's what Nehemiah did. He was the cupbearer. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, we, we, we get into... Uh, seeing this, this spirit of the harvest start to bleed into his life. And, and I believe what we see in Nehemiah's life are, are seven things that every harvester does. Seven things that every harvester does. And I think it's absolutely crucial that we, we catch a revelation here that this is not necessarily in any kind of order, but it is things that kind of build and flow into one another. And Nehemiah models it for us beautifully. I love this book and him because he just seems to get it at every turn. Whenever there's bad news or a bad report or frustration or something's going sideways or there seems like there's adversity or something's against him, he just finds a way to take the next right step. And I think it's because of this spirit inside of him that's pursuing the harvest. And, and when I say that, what I mean is I think for, for, for any harvester, you have to look beyond yourself and see people. The, the first thing that every harvester does is, is they see people. In, in Nehemiah 
chapter 2, verse 1, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 2, Hanani, one of his brothers, comes from Judah with other men, and Nehemiah questions them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. One of the things that I love about Nehemiah that I think that we can embrace immediately is his big heart and his leading with questions. This is where we get into trouble sometimes and what keeps us from being a harvester is we don't lead with questions. Sometimes we lead with assumptions. Sometimes we put on other people, oh, well, your city's probably burned down because you deserved it. Or, oh, I heard about you guys and what you did and how you turned away from the Lord. And what we see with Nehemiah is not somebody who's looking at someone's circumstances or someone's behavior. We see someone who's looking at them as a person, as a child of God. We see in, uh, in Corinthians, Paul says this, once we're saved, we don't regard anybody from a worldly point of view. We come to a supernatural understanding that just as much as I am a heavenly creature, a spiritual being, so too is every other person on this planet. We've all been made in the image of God. And so what Nehemiah does so wonderfully here is he leads with questions. He says, hey, what's going on out there? Please tell me about my brothers. He connects himself to these people. Can I just encourage you that when you're a harvester and you have that spirit and you bring people into the house, what you're inviting them to is the family of God, to become your brother or sister in Christ. And so we don't have time as harvesters to see their stuff. God will figure that out. We need to see them, meet them where they're at, open up our hearts and grow into them. What motivates Jesus to, to speak to his disciples about this harvest in Matthew 9 is that he has compassion on the people after seeing them. And it, it's really interesting, this, this word, when he saw the crowds in the original language, actually means that he saw them with his mind. And most uh, contemporary scholars believe this to be he saw them in a spiritual sense. We, we have to commit as people of the harvest as followers of Jesus, to see people with spiritual eyes. We have to commit to seeing them as what they could be and what God is calling them into and the purpose and potential they might have on their lives and not just where they're at in their current circumstance. It's interesting that Paul says it this way in Philippians 2. He says, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others. If I could sum up seeing people, it's this. The attitude of a harvester is not, here I am. It's, there you are. Let me meet you where you're at. How can I serve you? I'm going to put your interests above my interests because we're not here for just but a moment. This is an eternal significance that I recognize and understand. The second one, and this is one that we really have to grapple with, is that harvesters are vulnerable. This is really scary because there's a lot of tension here and, and vulnerability leaves room for a lot to go sideways very quickly. But what we see in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2, is that he comes before the king as the cupbearer after this news from his brothers. And the king says, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid 
Nehemiah was afraid, but he said to the king, may the king live forever, but why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? Its gates have been destroyed by fire. If your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah. Why do we have to be vulnerable? Well, because real harvesters are authentic. And we can't get anywhere with people inviting them into this space if we're not real. And I love that the Bible is honest here that Nehemiah doesn't stop going to his job. He doesn't get upset and quit. But he has this big heart, right? This is not five minutes ago. This is 150 years after the city has been destroyed. He's grappling with this issue of, oh man, my people, my ancestors, my heritage, where do I come from? What's going on? Why is there so much hurt and pain and disgrace? And so he's sad, he's forlorn, he's mourning, and he comes before the king anyways, but then he's honest with the king about where he's at. And I think for us, vulnerability is so important to the mission because if we're not vulnerable, people are going to be suspicious. And, and I love this quote from Brene Brown. She's a, a psychologist. She's all about vulnerability and, and daring greatly. And she says, the difficult thing about vulnerability is it's the first thing I look for in you, but it's the last thing I'm willing to show you. In you, it's courage and daring, but in me, it's weakness. This is where shame comes into play. Vulnerability is about showing up and being seen. It's tough to do what we're terrified about when, when people might see or think. And, and I think that... Thank God for his word, right? I just love the Bible. In 2 Timothy, we see a mentor sending a letter to a mentee talking about this exact same thing of shame and fear and how do I show up and how do I be real and how do I not overshare, but how do I not put on a mask and pretend to be perfect either? And we see Paul, a father to Timothy in the faith, say this, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid. Some, some translations say doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but gives us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed of your testimony about the Lord or, his, or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. That's why I'm suffering as I am. There's no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. See, we have permission by the power of the Holy Spirit to neither put on a mask of perfection nor uh, overshare and get all dramatic and create some performance either. And there's a, a real tension here. This is, this is no easy thing. But, but the, the trick, the hack, the practical is that Paul says, hey, you've got to fan into flame the gift of God. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you want to be authentically real and vulnerable, it takes time with the Holy Spirit doing the hard work of understanding who you are, who you've believed, and letting him convince you that he's trustworthy and that you can get guidance and discernment and leadership in any particular moment to say, hey, yeah, I've been through that, that's okay. Or yeah, I'm, I'm not feeling so, so great. And I don't, I don't want to be critical of like the, you know, blessed, not stressed. You know, like, but like, if that's not where you're at, it's okay that that's not where you're at. And you don't have to perform or pretend or do anything that, that speaks to that otherwise. And I love that the outcome here, if we can go back to the verse uh, from Nehemiah 2, 
2 verse, uh, verse 4, I believe, is that it says that if your servant has found favor, go back, you're on the right one. If your servant has found favor in his sight, let, me, let him send me to the city in Judah, and it pleased the king to send me. And I think the lesson for us as harvesters is on the other side of appropriate vulnerability is favor, is blessing. Paul, Paul says it this way, his power is made perfect in my weakness. When I show up and I'm real about where I'm at, and I don't take it too far to one extreme or the other, and I'm led by the Holy Spirit, then favor can rest on my life, and people will see, okay, this is somebody I might let invite me somewhere. This is somebody I might join in the journey of faith. The king trusted Nehemiah, and people will trust you when you're vulnerable and authentic. The third thing every harvester does is is they pray first. They pray first. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, it says, The king said to me, What is it that you want? And I love this, right? Nehemiah has curried favor with his vulnerability. He's got this big heart for his people back in Jerusalem. He knows what he wants. God is starting to plant the seed of a dream in him already to go and repair Jerusalem and take people with him. And yet when the king says, what do you want? His first reaction is not, well, here's my list of demands. No, 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 no. It's then I prayed to the God of heaven. I want to make sure that the things that you're putting inside of me, that the, 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 the whispers and the dreams and the hopes Those aren't mine. Those are yours. And so I'm going to purify that through prayer. I'm going to come before you, and we're going to make a list, and we're going to check it twice, right? We're going to, this is not Santa, but but we're going to go through everything that you've given me, and I'm going to let you confirm it. I'm going to pray first. I love this in 2 Chronicles. There's this verse about prayer in 2 Chronicles, verse uh, 14 of chapter 7. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I love that in the place of prayer, when we come before God humbly and we turn away from everything else and put our attention on him and we lift his name up, he hears us, he forgives us, and he heals us. And I think what that does, that posture of pray first, it allows us to turn back around and hear other people and forgive other people and heal other people. And, and what I mean by that is this. In James, it says that if we confess our sins to one another, we will be healed. We have to engage in community and we have to be willing to interact with one another. And the harvest only happens, truly, I believe, from a posture and a place of pray first. Oswald Chambers says this is a pretty cool quote. He says, We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Maybe we uh, don't have as many miracles as God might have intended for us, Because prayer is our last resort instead of our absolute first thing that we do. I want to be a church. I want to be a person of the harvest that's praying first into every opportunity, bringing people in, and seeing miracles happen. 
And miracles happen in the presence of God, and they're worked out in prayer with the Father. And so we've got to be people who pray first. I want to get real practical here. Number four, harvesters set smart goals. And I don't just mean smart like intelligent goals. I mean smart like the acronym that is probably all over LinkedIn because this sounds like that. But, but it's real. S-M-A-R-T, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. This, this, is, this is why we try to give practical handles in service like First 15, right? Every single day, specific amount of time, you can achieve this. You can take baby steps into that. Do, do, if you get to minute 16, are we like, nope, cut it off? No, but this is a starting place for you to form a habit, a daily practice that you can measure and that you can be specific about and that you can know if you've achieved it. It's relevant to the place that you're trying to go. If I'm trying to be saved and sent, then as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to set goals just like I do in every other area of my life. If I want to be a good husband, or I want to be a good assistant principal, or I want to be a good person, or I want to be a good friend, I'm going to have goals. I'm going to reevaluate. I'm going to think. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to get mentoring. I'm going to get advice. And then I'm going to set goals. Nehemiah does this in chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says, It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And I also said to him, May I have letters so that I can be provided with safe conduct when I arrive in Judah. May I also have letters so that I'll get timber to make beams for the gates and the city wall and the residence I will occupy. Nehemiah, after he prayed through this, made specific, measured, achievable goals that he set out before him. He had a plan and he had the authority of the king to go and do the thing that he felt burdened to do. I want to put like just something real practical around this. And I got this from a little book called Surprise the World, and it's awesome. It's, I think the guy's name is Michael Frost, the author. But he has this Bell's model. We're going to put this up on the screen. Um, and I modified some of this slightly, but, but he talks about five different ways that missional people interact with those around them. They bless people. They eat with people. They listen to the Holy Spirit. They learn about Jesus, and they commit to being sent into the world. And so some of the things that he puts in his book are like, hey, bless two people a week. And you know what? Try to make sure one of those people isn't a believer. You know, get a meal or get coffee with three people. You're going to get, if you do three meals a day, you're going to get 21 meals in a week anyways. So you might as well invite some other people along. Listen. I think this is something we, we, we need to be better out about as a church, and not just like our church, but the capital C church, yes. is to listen and pray specifically for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes. In your quiet time, there, there are different gifts in the Holy Spirit. There's the gifts of the mind, like understanding and knowledge and wisdom. Man, I pray for that every day. I need more of his wisdom, not my understanding. Yes. There, there's... there's Prophetic gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy and prayer language. There's miracles. It's the power of the Holy Spirit through his church and through the believers that sees people healed and people come to faith and people be harvested into the church to become sons and daughters of God. We've got to spend time going deeper in your faith. Read a book. 
Listen to a podcast. Commit to a message. Instead of watching that show on Netflix, watch a message. If you want advice on books, I love reading. I'll give you all the books. You can even have mine. But how, how, how will you tell them about Jesus if you don't know about him? We have to learn about our Savior. He's worth knowing about. He's worth sharing. And so it's worth learning his story. Read the Gospels. Dive into who he was, his character, how he responded to people, the things that caught his attention, the things that he stopped for. He stopped for people. He saw people. He prayed first. He was vulnerable. He had dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes. He was not afraid of meeting people where they were at. What this will do for you is it will grow godly character. These, these five areas, and I would challenge you, if you want to, you know, go for the A plus in class, you can absolutely try to do all five things that we just put on the screen. But I would just challenge you, maybe what's one area where you feel like God is calling you into growing godly character more, and then do that one thing. And just let him work in one area. You know, if you want to, if you want to grow in your generosity, bless people. And it's biblical. In Proverbs 11, it talks about the world of the generous gets larger and larger. If, if you want to grow your hospitality, as First Peter challenges us to do, then eat with people. Invite them in. Make them a meal. If you want to grow in compassion, listen to the Holy Spirit. Because he will share the Father's heart with you. And then you'll start to see people the way God sees people. And that will move you. And so that the, the, the history of a city that was destroyed 150 years ago will suddenly become a burden on your heart and something that sends you into mourning before the king. Yeah. If you want to learn humility, study Jesus. <laughs> he came and made himself less so that we could receive salvation. That's right. I mean, that could be the message right there. He humbled himself to a cross. Yes. He stepped out of a throne that he had every right to stay put in so that I could have a relationship That's with him. Right. You want to go gratitude? Get a gratitude journal. Journal the ways that God is moving in your life right now. Get very practical. Grow godly character. Be people of the harvest. We're getting into the last couple things here. Uh, people of the harvest use discernment. Use discernment. In Nehemiah 2, verse 12, says, Nehemiah set out during the night with a few others. But I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing. Can I encourage you, church, that knowing when or how to do something is just as important as knowing what to do? I think it's so beautiful that Nehemiah doesn't rush here. He goes out, he surveys the situation, he doesn't announce the dream too early, he doesn't come into the situation and make a mess of things by speaking too quickly. His discernment allowed him to say the right thing to the right people at the right time so the work could begin when it was supposed to. And as harvesters, there is a right time for you to say the right thing to the right people, and if you're discerning and you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you'll know. In Nehemiah 2.17, one verse later, it says, Then, there's a then, and it shows up. He said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Come, let us rebuild the wall, so we'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding and began the good work. 
If God has put a burden on your heart for something, he's going to see it come to fruition. But it's important for you to recognize a couple of things. The then is very important. You need to know what you're speaking to in people. Nehemiah knew that what was going on in the hearts of people was disgrace because he used discernment and surveyed the situation before he went in and said, all right, here's how we're going to fix it. I know all the plans. I figured it out. No, he didn't act like he had it all figured out. He wasn't striving to do and fix and be in a hurry. He said, I need to survey this before I say anything to anybody. Mm, These people, these people, they feel like the walls look. They're torn down. They're broken. There's disgrace here. Well, let me encourage them. How does he encourage them? It's simple, church. People of the harvest, they use their testimony. I told them about the gracious hand of my God and what the king had said to me. You don't need flashy words. You don't need to know all the Bible to be a person of the harvest. Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 11, hey, when the time comes, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. So if you're using discernment as a harvester, He'll show up. Six, they seek revelation. People of the harvest seek revelation. In Nehemiah 1, 4, and then 2, 4, and 8, he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God. I prayed to the God of heaven. The gracious hand of my God was on me. What do we see in the life of Nehemiah? Is he's consistently pursuing new, fresh revelation. But I have, to, I have to encourage you, church, that revelation's end is not in itself. Revelation is meant to be used as a blessing for the body. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Cast off restraint here, the actual language, the, it literally means let go or become unbound, but it's talking um, about things like rope or hair. But in context of this verse, what, what the, the, the writer of this proverb is saying is that where there's no revolution, re- revelation, people fall apart. Yeah. We can't be people of harvest without revelation. We have to be continually seeking the presence of God and asking for more. Yeah. We see this in Jesus before the cross. And I, I don't want to make revelation... Um, like formulaic. There's not like a recipe, but I think there are biblical principles that we see in sequence that lead to deeper revelation and lead to blessing. And it's this, you show up in the presence of God. There's a time of confession, which produces clarity. That clarity provides an opportunity for obedience. And if that obedience is shown and seen through, there's blessing and favor. Jesus shows up in the garden before he goes to the cross to get in the presence of God. Will you come with me and pray? God, is there any other way? He confesses where he's at. He's vulnerable before God. In a moment of of sincere intimacy, he's not interested in putting on a performance. He says, God, here's where I'm at. Is there any other way? As God, I'm asking God, is there another way? God provides clarity. Not my will, but your will. Revelation. Now Jesus has a choice. Does he want to obey? He's humbled. He goes to the cross. He obeys. Every single person in the history of the world 
has the opportunity for blessing and favor. And he is lifted up at the right hand of the Father. So what are we meant to do as harvesters? Man, we got to seek the presence of Jesus. we got to confess. we got to seek clarity. And then the hard part, got to obey. <laughs> and then blessing, yeah. favor. It's there. And lastly, the seventh thing every harvester does is that they experience salvation. In Nehemiah 2, 20, he's, uh, he's getting raked across the coal by some critics. You know, that crowd that shows up and always tries to talk you out of doing the thing that God told you to do. Man, I don't want to be in the Bible for that. Sambalot, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Jeshem, the Arab, heard about what Nehemiah is doing. They mocked and ridiculed. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, are rebuilding. And so what, what he shows there is that we, his servants, people who have been saved, are now being sent. And we're rebuilding the kingdom of God together. And I would challenge us, local city church, that there are empty seats to our right and our left. There are people that need Jesus. And you are the one to tell them about him. You are the people of the harvest to bring him. Bring them in. And, and I'm challenging myself here as much as anybody else. I've tried to invite more people to this week probably than I've invited in four years. We're about to have our four-year anniversary, and I'm confessing to you right now, I myself have, have hid behind the lie of, well, you live 35 minutes away, who's going to come? And so there's times when I just haven't invited people. I had dinner this week with someone that I had invited to church a few years back. And I was almost moved to tears. She sat across the table from me and my wife and she said, thank you so much for inviting me to church a few years ago. You saved my life. I was completely humbled. But my reaction was, I didn't save your life. Jesus saved your life. But that he would use me in a moment blows my mind. This is what David prays for in the Psalms. He says, return me to the joy of my salvation. We got saved once and it was a joyous experience. You want to relive that over and over again? Be a person of the harvest. Invite people in and you'll experience salvation over and over and over again through them. Paul says in Philippians 2, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You've got salvation. You're saved. Now, now let's be people who are obedient to being sent. People of the harvest who see people, who are vulnerable, who pray first, who set smart goals, who use discernment and seek revelation, and then let us experience salvation over and over again. Have a second service and a third service and pack this place out and a waiting list outside. Not because we want to see a room full. Like, hear the heart. There are people that need Jesus. All you have to do is think about who you were pre-Jesus and who you are now, and that should be motivation enough to be convicted and say, I gotta be a person of the harvest. 
thank God someone was there for me. Let me turn around and do the same thing for them. We'll end with this quote by George Bernard Shaw. He says, This is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clot of ailments and grievances, complaining that the whole world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it what I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It's sort of a splendid torch, which I've got hold of for the moment and want to make burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. It's as simple as a, a Sunday school song. This little light of mine. I want to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let's commit to be people of the harvest. Let's not leave this place and, and not commit to a next step today. Whatever it is, whether it's something practical or you just need to have a moment with Jesus. And yeah. the serve team will be up here to pray with people after service. We want to stand with you. We want to encourage you. We want to see you saved. But we know God loves us too much to leave us there. He wants right. to send us and we want to equip you for that too. So let's pray together and seal this in our hearts before we worship together. Lord, you are so good. You're a good, good father. And we're so thankful that you would save us, that you would send your son Jesus and display your majesty on the miracle of the cross. But Father, we love that you invite us into the work, that it's not just about getting saved, but Father, that we could go on a journey of faith with you and have stories and testimonies of the impact that you're having through us. So Father, seal this word in our hearts. Help us as a church to be inviters, to be people of the harvest, to minister to those in our community, to see people and make our lives about them because you showed us that you made your life about us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.